Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, everyone's favorite, lovable, Grogu-esque podcasting hero and my favorite podcasting bro, Teal. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, it's going good. I found out this week that I am a podcasting bro. I didn't really know that was a thing, but I think it's because I am male and I'm on a podcast and therefore am a podcasting bro. Yes. I mean, I don't think we we inhabit the bro-like behaviors, but maybe we do because we're, we're males and we may not recognize it. <laughs> we may, we may not be aware of our mansplaining, bro-ish, misogynistic, uh, you know, uh, we may not be aware of all of that. No. So here we are. Here we are doing our best anyway. We are right, right. For our dedicated <laughs> listeners out there. Um, and I know uh, a lot of people have been uh, tuning into our uh, BFI 250 uh, series and also our best of 2022 episode. So uh, that's great. And uh, well, we're do we're taping now and we're taping before the Oscars. So we won't be on next week to do a Oscar recap, which is probably better for us. Um, but I thought it would be a quick, <laughs> I know, I thought it'd be a quick opportunity to maybe just quickly discuss some of the predictions and kind of what's expected. Cause I guess there's a few wild cards out there this year. I got to say, I've not been in, in past years, I have spent some time on Reddit, uh, and other film sites, uh, with people's Oscar predictions, but I haven't done any of that this year. So, uh, yeah, if there's some, uh, some action happening, fill me in. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's some, you know, there's different narratives happening. Um, so I will kind of give you the rundown not necessarily my predictions but my predictions kind of match right. uh but what what they're kind of expecting now and some of it's changed in kind of weird ways but uh you know i'll talk about that so uh, the pretty much a lock but never nothing's ever definite right because w- voters sometimes get to vote after some of these other award shows right. Right. and sometimes they want to defy the narratives and then there's the rank choice voting so you know a second choice could come in so i mean it, it is definitely not ever 100% set in stone, but I think that early awards could be a prediction of how it's going to go that night. Yeah. Right now, there's a possibility of everything, everywhere, all at once, running like the table and hitting a whole bunch of awards. Interesting. It seems to have the momentum. It it won the Producers Guild for Best Picture. It won Best Director for the Daniels at the DGAs. Uh, I mean, to me, that just says... Who won at the WGA Awards? And also everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay. And Charlie Kaufman got a lifetime achievement. Did he? Which one? Which which brother? <laughs> Sorry. That would have been awesome if he, one. <laughs> if he showed up as Donald. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, so, so that's there. And Best Actress, that kind of, if that momentum carries, then you may see uh, Michelle Yeoh win Best Actress right. over, uh, I, I don't think she's a, the expected favorite, Kate Blanchett. I, I think most people agree, if you really look at the performances, the best performance was Kate Blanchett. But that's not to say that Michelle Yeoh wasn't great. So I think they're both good performances. But yeah, Kate Blanchett totally blew me away in that movie. So, But she's also Kate Blanchett, right? So that's easy for her. 
I mean, I guess. I, don't, I think that's <laughs> no, unfair. I'm, I think I'm joking. That's, yeah, but I, that's unfair to like other actors. But um, no, but, no, I, I, I'm joking. But my point is that the I can see voters not having the same excitement about her because Tar is almost a more standard type of Oscar movie. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but the thing is, is that she's won two awards before, a supporting actress and, a, right. and an acting. And so there is that contingent. And even when some of the stuff I read online, it's the idea of, well, you know, they've rewarded her twice. But I don't, right. I mean, this is just me. This is how I would vote. I don't care how many times you've won something. If you're the best, that's what I vote for. Um, but I don't get to vote. But I don't vote for like, oh, you know, Michelle Yeoh's never won anything, so let's give her the award. Like, I don't think that way. Yeah, and as we know from looking at the BFI list, there's a lot of different voting strategies. There is, um, and I don't want to. Uh, we're going to maybe talk. We're going to jump into maybe some films from the BFI list later, so we'll, we'll table that. But um, right, but my point is just th- that people have voting strategies when they're vote, and all sorts of different stuff is going on in their heads. Some people are like you and I, thinking, okay, best performance. Who cares what they won before? But some people are really doing that accounting in their head. Right. My strategy is I don't care about previous awards. I don't care about your your ethnicity or other things. I care about whether you gave the best performance or whether you were the best director. Right. That's just – talk about a strategy, voting for the best. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, it's an interesting strategy. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> but the supporting actor, everybody, I mean, he's won all the awards. And this is about as like locked slam dunk as you're going to get is uh, Kihue Kwan. Uh, from everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think that he's got, you know, it, it's a good performance, but he's got an amazing story. He was a child yes. performer that pretty much every voter knows about. And then he came, he, you know, people had already forgotten about him, just like Hollywood had forgotten about him. Yeah. And a lot of people saw that movie at first, didn't even know that was him. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So how come he is not in the new Indiana Jones movie? Well, how do you know he's not? I, I guess that's true, but wouldn't that be amazing if if Short Round showed up in the in the new Indiana Jones movie? I, I guess so, but that sounds very much like the approach to Star Wars these days with uh, fan callbacks. Uh, if it if it meets the story criteria, fine. I think fan callbacks is really all that needs to be done in cinema these days. Well, they it, tried it, the fan callbacks <laughs> in uh, the last Indiana Jones, and it didn't work so well. But uh, oh, you man. know, okay. So we'll see. All right, the best actor. Yeah. I I was just going to ask about any scuttlebutt on Riseboro, or did everyone just kind of forget about that? I think that's finally now died down because everybody, you know, believes that it's just either Kate Blanchett or Michelle Yeoh. The thing is, unlike a lot of years where you could just say, oh, it's going to be this person, well, it's going to be one of those two. And so that's exciting, right? That is exciting. Yeah, there's a little surprise there. I think my gut tells me, I just feel like, yes, there's always those um, articles that come out from Variety and Hollywood Reporter where they like get those anonymous Oscar writers. And I think Variety, their list had like seven different people and they all had a myriad of different choices. Interesting. And if that actually holds true, then we could be in for some surprises. All right. But I think that that's- I think that's just going to be that's just like fun flavoring, and that right. my gut tells me everything, everywhere, all at once will run the table. That means well, we'll get to. I guess we'll do supporting actress next. Um, it had been one of those sort of assumed wins for Angela Bassett for that Marvel movie right. there, and then she didn't win at the SAG Awards. 
Right. And instead, you had Jamie Lee Curtis winning for everything, everywhere, all at once. And now the voting bodies are a little different. It's bigger in SAG than in the Oscars. Right. But there's a lot of people that might be like, why, if she's presumed to be the winner, well, then I don't have to vote for Angela Bassett if I don't really think she's the best. Maybe I'll right. vote for Jamie Lee Curtis because <laughs> just like Michelle Yeoh and others, she's had a long story career just like Angela Bassett. And yeah. she's never been nominated for anything. And this role, I mean, so I think that there could be a potential upset by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I guess the money is still on Angela Bassett. The problem is that category is always weird. The money has always been on a certain actor to win and that they don't like um when lauren bacall was nominated and she lost to uh yeah i don't remember that that was a little juliette binoche oh yes what? that's no, right no 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 yeah, we yes. Remember that. Oh, na- yes now i do remember yes okay and you remember everybody thought gloria stewart was going to win yes. for titanic yeah and instead it was kim bassinger that was really <laughs> i think a surprise <laughs> Well, I got to say, I, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I just saw Titanic. Oh, right. I just saw Titanic a few weeks ago. And uh, I, I got to say, I think Kim Basinger's performance was better. So, Well, I mean, it wasn't. I'm not saying that, that the best per- supporting actor didn't win. It's just. No, no, no. The- I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, I, seeing Gloria Stewart now, I'm like, yeah, that's fine for a couple of scenes. But, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, not a very demanding role. Well, you know, again, sentimental favorites don't always win, which is, again, the case with Angela Bassett. Going for her, though, there's that strong contingent of voters being worried of how they'll be perceived if there are no uh, black actors winning. Right, and then we we have another Oscars so white situation. Yeah, and- um, Which could happen, right? Well, but except that if, say, Michelle Yeoh won and then Ki-Hui Kwan won, that's two actors. Right. Well, but 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 then there's still those people that will say, "Oh, but no black actors won." But then they take away from right a great moment, and so you know, again, we're, I'm going to mention something in a minute, um, but I want to get through like the yeah, best actor yeah. race because it's right now it's a three horse race. Interesting. Yes, between Brendan Fraser for the whale. Okay, which have you, you saw right? I saw the whale. Yes, yes. Yeah. I thought he was very good in it. I, I thought the movie was okay. But he was great. Okay. Colin Farrell for Banshees. Yes. Which I think he's uh, probably, probably would be my selection, um, but it's not a showy performance and that always hurts you in the Oscar race. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's showy and <laughs> it's a little bit showy. In, it's in not showy and good acting. <laughs> I mean, I just, it's not like he doesn't have to do those. It's it's a challenging role, I think, because it, it, you have to create the inner life for this character that he puts out there. That's so, uh, so much deeper than the dialogue even. Yeah. But Oscar voters don't give a shit about that. Okay. <laughs> you okay. Know that. Go, yeah. Okay. Never mind. Keep going. Now, guess who's come. I don't know. I feel like it's out of nowhere because I was surprised he even got nominated, but I mean, the Academy loves this movie for some strange reason. Um, and, and it's the one film that nobody's really picking it apart as well <laughs> as they should be. Um, but Austin Butler, they think that he might win for Elvis. He's got a huge following of people in the, uh, what? In the Academy that love that movie. What? That's bizarre. He's the best part of Elvis. Absolutely. He does a tremendous job. I've seen the movie. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. 
I thought the movie was just so-so, and it hit all those music biopic beats. However, you know, in the hands of uh, Baz Luhrmann, it is done a little bit differently, maybe a little bit over the top, but but also Elvis's character was over the top. So maybe that's what worked there. But they are predicting that he could pull off the win. Okay, that is fascinating. Wow, okay. So that might be reason to watch there, because honestly... Any of those three oh, could win. So the, wait, is this episode called uh, Jim Gives Teal Reasons to Watch? No, but maybe these, maybe <laughs> I am giving you t- reasons to watch. You um, are, because I was and, thinking I wouldn't watch, but now you're getting me interested. Well, I'm just saying that, you know what? Ultimately, like, the, the winner gets announced. It could be Brendan Fraser, and then you might go, well, that's expected. Or it could be Colin Farrell, which is not as expected as it might have seen during the, uh, like, December. And then Austin Butler, don't be surprised because he's coming on strong. But one of those three could end up being it. And I haven't seen a race for one of the major categories where you're looking at three contenders. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But then with all the voting cancellations, what if... I feel like those are like one, two, or three. So that's where I don't think that uh, Paul Mescal from uh, right. that movie there um, that he was in that I didn't like um, that <laughs> some people like. I think Sight and Sound put that uh, as their After Sun. Is that it? They yes. put that as their favorite film of the year. And I just thought it was like, oh, it's one of those independent films that I would have got a free ticket to in the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, I'm, um, I'm going to watch it because I feel like I'm going to think you're wrong. And I, I hope it. so. I want you to, I want you to see that movie and then let's do a show where you're like, I want to tell you why it was great. Cause I need to know. Um, yeah. and then, uh, I haven't seen the Bill Nye movie living. Um, and I don't, and I think we'll talk about it maybe in a different show where we're going to pair that up yeah. with, uh, Kurosawa's, um, Ikiru, which I just saw. I'm and every other adaptation of the death of Ivan Ilyich. Look at you dropping off those uh, Russian <laughs> names. Um, but uh, then the, the only other category I'm going to mention, because I've just been hearing about this now, is, is looking more and more like the win. And I guess I'm surprised yeah. about it too, because I didn't. I thought that the cinematography was kind of like interesting, but at the same time, it had a very digital look to me, was Elvis. They're looking like that's going to win Best Cinematography. It is shot by a woman, and it would be the first win for a woman for Best Cinematography. I didn't think it looked too digitally. Did you see the whole movie? No, but I, I, you know, the first 20 minutes or so. I don't know. I just, I didn't care for it, but then I didn't care for a lot about that movie. Uh, And if it wins best editing, I'll be really angry because the editing, it was like, it never stopped editing in that (laughs) movie. It was just everywhere. And I was like, no, stop. So So cinematography for that, huh? That's fascinating. Okay. I'm just telling otherwise it could be All Quiet on the Western Front, which also has a lot of Academy support. Interesting. Okay. So this digitally thing though. Uh, yeah. just for, just for a second. So I, uh, the other day I, I decided to try to watch, you know, it was, you're done watching movies for the day and you got like another five or 10 minutes. So I, sometimes I watch trailers or I'll just check out the first few minutes of a movie. I turned on this movie, uh, devotion, this, uh, Korean war fighter pilot movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know about it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. And it cost like $80 million and then it bombed and, I watched the first maybe four minutes and it was so digitally, I stopped it. Yeah, the cinematography, it just looked way too digital for me and and it made it look cheap. 
Yeah, now when I say that, I don't mean like pixelated or something like that. That could be a problem with someone's TV. No, I'm, I know what you mean. It's sometimes it's almost too sharp. That's what it is. And that's the way it was with Elvis, except for that it did get into this part where they artificially did whatever, but like when it got to the later years of Elvis, like his Vegas years, they did employ some cool techniques. And so I, I can't say I hated the cinematography all the time, but I just right. wished it was shot on film because I feel like that's the Elvis we knew. He didn't grow up. Right. Like when he died, right. he died before digital ever came. And I always feel like movies that are shot on film that are period pieces from the time that film existed are better than when they're done digitally. Analog versus digital. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So analog time periods should be done with analog technology is what you're saying. Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give this for um After Sun shot on film. Okay. And it looks great. And it has this dreamy look to it and you can't get that with digital. You just can't. So Yeah, it happened to me again recently on another film where I just it was a period piece about the early eighties in Russia and it was just and it was black and white, but it was digital and I just couldn't buy the time period. Yeah, it, it kind of just throws me for a loop. I mean, Cocaine Bear, which I saw, I mean, this is not an Oscar yeah. film, but uh, I enjoyed it. It was shot digitally. Um, it didn't really look like the 80s. It might have looked more like the 80s had they shot it on film. However, right. what I did like about it is somehow the director, she caught the spirit of an 80s movie oh, right. really well. Okay. Okay. So I give a point for that. And and it you know it depends on the movie too, right? A, a movie like Cocaine Bear can be a little more digital. I'm not going to care. Yeah, that I'm not. Much. I'm not like oh, Cocaine Bear's ruined because it was shot right. digitally. I don't care about that. You're right. Um, but you know what? Now that we've gone predictions, I want to just talk about something that I don't like. Yes. And that's sort of how the Oscars are being covered. And I'm going to ding a guy named Peter Travers. Okay. He's a, oh, he's yeah, a Rolling Stone. Used to be right. So this guy used to he used to be on the money. But here I want to I want to read you his there was an article <laughs> that he wrote for like okay. ABC News. I guess he's probably corresponding there on the Oscars. And he was giving his takes on uh what his predictions were. But yeah. I want to read you his lead into this. And okay. I felt it's just a dishonest approach. And it sounds like you're just picking names out of a hat so you can try to make a point. And I feel like he's trying to enter a dialogue that seems to have been brewing and he's, and he's just, it's all wrong. So here's what he wrote. Given last year's notorious Oscar show, let's hope insults will be verbal instead of physical at the 95th annual <laughs> Academy Awards Sunday. Okay, that's funny. But then here he goes. Still, there'll be plenty to argue about. That includes audience audience discontent about arty indie films taking the lion's share of prizes. Hello, Coda. Popcorn movie fans will be thrilled that last year's two biggest box office bonanzas, Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water, are both up for best picture. I'm okay. I'm all right so far. Yeah, but here yeah. we go. After Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, and Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, won back-to-back Oscars for directing, you may be wondering which woman will take the gold now. Could it be (laughs) Gina Prince, by the word, for The Woman King, or Charlotte Wells, After Sun, or Sarah Pauly, Women Talking? None of the above. The Old Boys <laughs> Directors Club reverted to form by nominating only white dudes, including veteran Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans. Female directors were completely left out of the race. 
I have a lot of problems with what he just said there. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, be- begin your rant and uh, well, know that you will, you will be interrupted by laughter. Okay. I have one more paragraph, but I do want to just <laughs> okay, no, stop this. Yeah, can, stop. Is that, <laughs> is that Gina Prince, by the way, the woman king. I'm sorry. That is like, it's an action draw, uh, genre movie. Like so many action movies over the years, it's about a subject that hasn't been really covered. Great, but it's as fantastical a story that Hollywood's ever put out. Sure, it's and, you know, it's just a fantastical Hollywood, and uh, yeah, the, the direction is competent. Yeah, but framing it in the in the lens of like it should have been considered for Oscars is ridiculous. No. Okay, Sarah Polly's women talking was nominated for Best Picture, so you could yeah. make a case for it. I think you can make a case there, yeah. I've seen the movie. I actually saw it. I've seen all the yeah. movies nominated for Best Picture. I got to see it in the theater. Um, there are some things I like about it, but it is not... It, it 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 had a potential, I think, to be great if it had been written a little bit more. Like if they had just oh, taken okay. different... Just- and I just thought it just kind of wasn't so great. I did like the fact that she, uh, Sarah Polly, seemed to have learned something from Quentin Tarantino with his hateful eight when he shot in the super panavision yeah format he did that because if everybody's in one big space but you have this huge wide canvas you can do a lot of interesting things yeah and even though it was digital she shot with the super panasonic lens oh fascinating okay and that makes the movie very interesting because it doesn't look like most films and i, I right. like that but I mean, it's just that I feel like he is just trying to stir up a little dust here. And then here's what he wrote too. Wait, okay. Oh yeah, another no, paragraph. Have, okay, bring com- it on. You should comment. You should comment because you want to. You'll want to comment after this one. So l- l- go ahead and and make a comment. No, go ahead. I'm I, I'm now prepared for this. Okay. Now here is he. He concludes by saying, "To add insult to injury." <laughs> what some viewed as a grassroots campaign to get a Best Actress nod for Andrea Riseborough in the little scene to Leslie by having such A-listers in her corner as Kate Winslet and Charlize Theron backfired when her nomination was perceived by some to have caused two acclaimed black actresses, Viola Davis for The Woman King and Danielle Deadweiler for Till, to fall off the honor roll. Now, wow. Okay. I, I feel that's very disingenuous and dishonest because, again, it's presuming that if somehow it's Andrea Riseborough was the person that knocked two other people off, and obviously there's only one slot, and that means only one of them could have been nominated, but we still don't know yeah. if either one would have been nominated. And honestly, if I adult, Viola Davis had taken that slot, I would have said she robbed Daniel Detweiler because- right. Daniel Deadweiler's performance was better than the Woman King, and honestly, I don't think Viola Davis's so, performance. Okay, how old is Travers? Was worthy now? of being nominated? Is what? Travers? Oh, I don't know. He's got to be in his seventies, right? He's got to be in his nineties. I mean, this <laughs> it it's it just, just doesn't feel right for Travers to be writing it. It, it, that's exactly my point. Yeah, it's it's like he's really trying very hard to be on the right side of this discussion, and it doesn't feel genuine coming from him because he's an old white guy who's part of the old white guy establishment in Hollywood. That's what that's what cracks me up as if he's like trying. He's hiding behind the fact that he was for years one of the few like uh, you know selected uh, reviewers, and he was a white male. Yes, but I why did I bring up him? Because on the flip side, uh-huh. there's somebody out there who really hates 
I probably hate these Peter Travers, and there's a whole <laughs> slew of other. Um, this this guy will call them social justice warriors, which actually I think yes. is kind of funny. SJWs, um, yeah, yeah. There's a guy I've followed for over 20 years. His name is Jeffrey <laughs> Wells, and he has a site called Hollywood Elsewhere, and he's notorious. I mean, he's become a notorious figure. Become, but I want to uh, give me just a couple sentences about what he was 20 years ago when you started following him. So here's the background. And what, what, when we're going to get into I, the I want a little Wells background because I want to know yeah. about the fall from grace. Yeah. Okay. So Jeffrey Wells, entertainment, movie writer, um, kind of like a blogger. He was doing blogging yeah. before really a lot of other film yeah, types. He was an early I blogger. That, I think, yeah. And I think that bothers him just the fact that anybody else followed him into that. Um, but most of those people were pushed out of their jobs because things changed. Um, yeah. But in the 80s, he wrote like uh, – press kit packets for um canon i think and eventually he i think the 90s was really his high time he was a reporter and a trend piece writer for ew from 91 to 96 uh, people magazine from 96 to 98 and he wrote a syndicated column for the la times from 94 to 99 um and then in 98 he, he wrote a two-time weekly uh, Hollywood column for a site that I don't think exists anymore, Mr. Showbiz. Oh, okay. I remember that, yeah. And that's when I kind of started following him. And then he also wrote for Real.com from 98 uh, to 02. I think he actually used to be called Mr. Showbiz. Oh, okay. And, uh, and that was in, on Real.com. And then he, um, when Real.com kind of folded and was getting rid of people, he moved over to Kevin Smith's uh, site, Movie Poop Shoot. <laughs> from uh, 2002 to 2004. Okay, I don't remember that, but okay. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I did because I started, I, I don't know how I, you know, I, I stumbled upon like the site, uh, real.com, right. and, and started reading his article. So I have a little real.com story I'll tell at some point. I won't I won't derail us right now, okay. but um, yeah, remind me, real.com. Okay, um, and then in 2004, he started Hollywood Elsewhere, and he's been doing that for almost okay. 20 years. Okay, Um. And, you know, when things were going good, when he had started, the Oscar campaign, right? And this is the last 20 years. Oscars really shaped um, with online critics. And it kind of became a whole season where Oscar bloggers, they were really instrumental in kind of making this a big season and campaign. And they were throwing a ton of dollars on ad space online, right? Right. So there was a few years there where people like uh, Jeffrey Wells were getting – like they'd always have tons We're of those. getting some money for it. Yeah. What are those things? The banner ads and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they were getting all sorts of invites to premieres and things. And, you know, it was that time where Hollywood was like, we've got to listen to those people like that disgraced clown there from Texas. What's his name? Harry Knowles? Yes. Yeah. He's been disgraced. He's a, he's a ugh, toxic male. Let's put it that way there. Oh, okay. I don't know any details yeah. on Toxic that. male behavior and other stuff. You know, it's it's, it's shocking when a, a guy of his stature uh, <laughs> rises to the top, Hollywood placates him, and then his ego goes out of control. I can't believe it. He he was always, always a toxic male. I, I hated him. Hated that guy. So, and, and Right I from the beginning. Him. I mean, his he was always this misogynistic, creepy. Uh, I, I once watched a film based on one of his recommendations. <laughs> yeah by the way we're talking about harry knowles there we're not talking yes. about jeffrey wells no we're talking about harry knowles yeah but i well, i i read this guy uh religiously right i couldn't wait for his new post to come out and i just liked his style of writing he was very matter of fact like 
you know, he, he didn't care. Like, even if they were putting banner ads up on his site and paying right. him money. <laughs> He'd still rip the movie. He'd still rip the movie. And I thought that was good because that just shows yeah. you he was the genuine article. Uh, and then he'd also intersplice, like, unlike most critics or reviewers that kind of just talk about the film, he talked about his experiences. Like, so he'd go to a film festival and half of the stuff he'd write were just about crazy things that happened at the festivals to him. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a bit of a character, you could tell, and things that would annoy him, you're like, most people would not be annoyed by. And, (laughs) you know, he'd write it. And I I think it was, you could definitely- Uh, With a a little humor. Yeah. And so it was a writing style. It was a bit of a character. I'm sure there was a lot of the real him too. But I mean, there's a character he cultivated. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I don't think I like, you know, just because you like somebody doesn't mean you like everything they write. And then, of course- Sure, but it was, you know, I like Armand White, but I don't agree with him all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a fascinating writer. Um, yeah, yeah. Love but, reading yeah. him, but yeah. <laughs> um, and I, of course, like, so he would go to film festivals, though, so that he could talk about movies that hadn't come out for months, and he'd get you excited about seeing films, right? And that also benefits the studios because Absolutely. he could champion something that he saw at Cannes or something, and then you're, like, looking forward to it. Uh, so that's why I, I would read him. And then, like, you know, his comments started to become more popular after, you know, an article. Right. That kind of took away from things a little bit because, you know, he seemed to attract that kind of incel sort of toxic male commenter. The movie bro. Yeah. He con- he, he, he definitely uh, got the movie bro seemed to take over those comment threads. And once in a while I used to comment, but then it was just such a weird toxic place. And there was a guy that ruined almost every thread. It was this guy that went by the handle Lex G and he was so awful and toxic <laughs> and he was so ego centric. And he was clearly like, he was really one of those guys that lived in his parents' basement kind of thing. Right. And, you know, he was a guy like maybe he was, he worked for a production house where he was in the tape room, like, you know, making copies of VHSs right, right. for people or something. And he just, he definitely could write pretty well, but like he expected things. He thought his greatness for commenting warranted being paid for stuff. But, but then Jeffrey Wells wanted to kind of like bring him on sort of as like a contributor, but then he was one of those guys that never would like, you know, actually play ball. Oh, right. <laughs> He's like the guy who wants to be in the movies, but whenever given opportunities that no other people have, they they blow them. You know? Right, right, right. Um, and so I really started getting turned off by that. But then, you know, things changed again. I mean, that's the thing is the whole world of entertainment is constantly changing. Streaming comes in. The streaming is just, yeah. Uh, oh, and I think he saw a lot of his friends or colleagues, whether they were friends or enemies or whatever, they were losing their jobs in the paper. So suddenly- online became more competitive right and then you have the younger critics coming up right kids that like you know weren't even born when i was like in college right are now out there writing and of course generationally they think differently they act differently um and they tend to be a little bit more on the social justice warrior side (laughs) they do (laughs) you know uh and and jeffrey wells he started to get dinged whenever he said things that were a little bit offensive, um, whether they were to minorities or women or what have you. He's not a very politically correct kind of guy. He, he he's he <laughs> he's not trying very hard to be sensitive either. No, but he has that blinder 
that a lot of people of his age, and he, I, I think he's, I, I don't know how old exactly he is, but I, I take it he's in his 70s now. And he has a blinder that a lot of those white males of that age do, where they don't recognize that things that they say that some people might take offense to were things that they've said all through their life and that people right. were offended by and had to either bite <laughs> their lip or when they weren't around thought, God, that guy's an asshole. And right. he doesn't and now- seem to realize that now that the, <laughs> the pendulum is swung the other way and gets called out on it by kids who understand, I call kids, but like in their 20s or whatever, that right. understand how to use the internet in a different way than he does. He is shocked when things he's done uh, misfire come and back. come back to haunt him. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, again, I mean, I couldn't, I, you can go to the site and you could find a list or you can go online and type out and there's somebody that's probably gathered all the awful things he's said over the years. But in 2021, the Critics' Choice Association, which he was a part of, expelled him for a pattern of offensive, <laughs> insensitive, and unprofessional behavior. He's also become like an unwelcome president presence at Sundance, where they were saying it was for other reasons, but they were like, you know, reducing his all-access passes and pretty much making him a persona non grata. And I can understand, right? I can understand that the guy, you know, he, he like had his like a career and he got to go to all the things and... And and now, you know, slowly but surely, livelihood chips away. Uh, yeah. Hollywood stopped giving people money for banner ads and stuff when they realized that's just not bringing in any extra, you know, audience. Right, yeah. And so there's like, you know, it's tough. You get bitter. And so he just started to lean more on that sort of Foxian approach of everybody um, is a wokester kind of thing. Well, everything he writes about is a, is in the lens of like the world is against him and they're all this, uh, what, what is something, he calls them like wokesters or Stalinist wokesters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and he feels like there's a regime well, and the out thing there. Is, he's not really a right-wing guy. He's just kind of an obnoxious asshole who, <laughs> who people have picked up on and called him out on it. And now he's turned it into this weird political stance. Well, yeah, he, he calls these Stalinist wokesters. He says they've injected fear and intimidation into the common creative bloodstream, <laughs> and they have thereby helped bring about the all but total collapse of the mainstream Hollywood industrial entertainment complex. <laughs> these are things you can find on his site. Um, yeah. And he calls the uh, Independent Spirit Award Awards the Branch Davidian Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's still funny. Right, I mean that's that's clever. It, well, yeah, it, it, right. Well, that's the thing is he's a good writer. Yeah, but the thing is he's now he's starting <laughs> to become a, like a, almost like a joke because I think and 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 I look at this look at I mean if he ever like have you ever heard this and he wanted to come on the show and talk to me and I've I've heard him and he sometimes in like uh, he does podcasts and stuff with some of his he's, he's and, got a new YouTube channel. Oh, there you go, and and he doesn't always come off when he's you know on video or audio the same way he does in his writing but i haven't really been paying much attention lately but every time you go to the site it's like article after article and it starts to become like a broken record i mean i actually call it like no country for old wells because (laughs) this guy he's like out of time out of place he can't recognize he sounds like one of these people in the 50s that was like railing against elvis and rock and roll that they were the devil's music and they're gonna like poison kids you know uh with his rants it's ridiculous and every year he seems to take umbrage 
with one movie in particular that other people like that he hates, but yet he seems to hate from the outset before he even like goes to see it. And he puts that into his brain when he goes to see the movie (laughs) and he's done this in the past. uh, And he also has weird champions. Like, I mean, he championed the green book. Like you wouldn't. Oh, that's right. He loved. Well, but he is the prime demographic for that movie. But he can't recognize that he is. So he would put up every every article that he could find that would be in defense of his stance on it. And anybody who thought that he was being like ridiculous and couldn't understand that Green Book was just an awful piece of trash, uh, that they were like somehow part of this awful wokester agenda. And. Other movies, like, you know, he just, you know, everybody likes what they like and they want to champion it. But then sometimes I feel like his hatred for a movie goes way beyond. And he hates, with a passion, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. He does article after article. Anybody (laughs) that he can find a negative thing about that movie to show you that, A, this may not win Best Picture, or, oh, here's another reason why this movie's terrible, he will post it. Um, And here's a recent thing he said about everything, everywhere, all at once, that I think really kind of encapsulates everything that he really feels about this movie. He wrote... Uh, vote for hot dog finger farting corpse guys and thereby celebrate an unmistakably mediocre, wildly overwritten and frenetically visualized film about the Marvel martial arts heebie-jeebies. But that's okay because voting for the Daniels will affirm and celebrate the growing visibility and influence of Asian identity in modern cinema. Because in terms of woke Oscars, that's what really matters at the end of the day. Identity over quality. Plus, at the same time, Vote for the Daniels acknowledges and in fact salutes the growing power of fickle woke, anti-classical, anything to piss off the 45 plus crowd critics like David Ehrlich. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. (laughs) Break that down. Well, okay, so this... This represents a point of view, right? And it's it, he's, absolutely he's going a little he's going a little far with his rhetoric, right? But when he brings up this identity over quality issue, he's got a point that there's a conversation taking place around that, uh, and there are different. I see this in literature all the time in terms of uh, what what do we consider the canon. And if you're, you know, saying, okay, you need to learn about American literature. Well, 20 years ago, that was pretty white. And so there is, you know, a a conversation to be had about inclusion and, uh, you know, identity is also important in terms of, you know, say you're a student of literature. Yes, identity is important. It was important to those writers, right? They're writing about who they are in that time and place or exploring uh the the identity of those voices and so they're so wells is not uh completely out in in an insane right-wing nut job kind of world his rhetoric is a little extreme but he does have a point that is often made in this conversation and is not totally dismissed instantly because uh it's a constant ongoing conversation is this book that we've celebrated for 50 years was that the advantage that it was or okay here's an example flannery o'connor is a short story writer and one of the greatest american short story writers of the 20th century and is taught studied thought about read read and read 
Well, it turns out that uh, she was kind of a racist and not and, and like really a racist. And basically that was kind of ignored for the last 50 years. Right. And it's now being talked about. And so there's really a conversation about, is it still okay to have Flannery O'Connor in the classroom? And that is a ongoing conversation. So Wells does have a little bit of a point, but my God, he's insane. Well, okay. So, you know, the thing about everything, everywhere, all at once, and this is where I take a, a huge disagreement with him. It's the over 45 crowd that first discovered this movie. You're absolutely right. Yes. It's the bulk of the people who went and saw it in the theater. Um, it's and, it, and it's so far from the idea, to me anyway, of being a Marvel movie. I feel like that's actually an awful slap against the film because to me, whether or not you like the movie or love the movie, it's actually about something. And, you know, as a middle-aged person, it's about that middle-aged experience and going through life realizing... I, I feel like I'm in a dead end and that I just don't identify with my husband anymore. My daughter, right. I can't relate to her. And the fact that my daughter's a lesbian and I'm not sure I can accept that. And she also has tuned out of life so much that she's just not even paying her taxes because this isn't what she ever wanted to do in her life. And right. then she gets into a situation where from what my the way I look at it is this whole idea of this metaverse and all that, yeah. that's just a fantasy in her head as she's working out her life in this one critical moment. And then through that experience that we're given with all the fantasy, she realizes what really is important and that fighting for her marriage, fighting for her daughter, fighting yeah. for all of this stuff is worth it. And so I really liked the message of the movie and enjoyed it. I found the message of the movie more than just a message. I found it very moving, right? I was really, t and and in your, well, you were just saying you kind of left out the daughter a little bit, but I think younger people can relate to it from that perspective, right? Like, I think my daughter relates to the daughter character and uh, I relate more to the mother. But uh, I I was very moved by it, and because it's a it's a family movie, it's a family values kind of movie, right? And, and I actually went to the theater with my family to see it. Yes, I went with I went with my daughter, and she absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, we saw it fairly early on in the, in the first few weeks of release. And you know what? Yeah, you know, it, it Wells, if he's complaining, yes, this same movie would have been made even only a, a few years ago. And it would have been about a American white male, yes, working at a dead end. And even when the Daniels first wrote it, they wrote it as a vehicle for Jackie Chan to be the lead, and maybe Michelle Yeoh would have been the wife. Right. That's how it was originally written. Whether or not because Jackie Chan wasn't interested or what have you, it changed. And of course, look. Sometimes because you make those changes, it's better. And yeah. because Michelle Yeoh, it's it's a better movie. And because you know, to me, the way that the way I look at the story is, I didn't go in going, "Oh, great, I get to see a story about an Asian American experience." To me, it's an American story. And so what? She happens to be Asian in his family. A totally American story. And unfortunately, he gets dinged though. Jeffrey Wells seems to have a thing against Asian culture. I think he just doesn't like immigrants. Well, he may not. I'm not going to speak for him, but like, here's his one sentence take on another movie he absolutely hated, Parasite. Yes. Absurdly plotted, chaotically concluded social drama from plump South Korean nerd director. Wow. Wow. 
That's just the one sentence I could find, never mind going back to all the shit that he poured on Parasite. And, you know, when you no, read but enough he uses of those things, the word He uses the word plump. Oh, he loves to he loves to call out. He he. There's no fat shaming concerns here. He he'll fat shame you to to the from here to Sunday. Yeah, that's just not cool. Because at some point, right? Whether he's trying to make funny or whatever, you start to get his views on things, which you know it, it's refreshing in that the guy is so brutally honest. But the other hand, it makes you go and, and a lot of audience, right? If you're trying to create an audience, it, it, there's a lot of people, especially younger people. That's not how they don't they don't think in those terms, and it is offensive. And you know he doesn't want to sanitize himself, and I actually appreciate not wanting to sanitize sure. himself. I think his his opinions about kind of, and that's why I brought up Peter Travers. I feel like Peter Travers is trying to jump on a bandwagon that he doesn't belong on, and I think well, Jeffrey Wells. <laughs> Wells is certainly. He's certainly on his own bandwagon there. Well, that's yeah. why he's the opposite of it. But I think he calls yeah. out that he sees more and more people lining up there. So he seems to stake his claim in the ground that if you want to come for the anti-woke, I'm going to be that. And I just think that it's a it's a shame because I don't think he needs it. I think he's still better. And unfortunately uh, yeah. now, maybe it's it's too far gone. He's like, I think he's it's made too far gone. Mark. Yeah, this he's is, not going to well, get all those prestige passes back. When you were going through his resume, I noticed that he didn't spend all that long, never more than five years at a job. Well, I don't know if that's common or uncommon in that industry. Well, I don't know either, but my point is that maybe he's just, uh, you know, this is just another phase for him. Uh, but I suspect he staked out his claim here because critics do that, right? Like uh, I brought up Armand White earlier, uh, has a claim, right? Uh, I feel like Richard Brody has a claim. Yeah, but is this a good claim to be? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> no, but I but I'm glad that it exists so that we can say, well, it, it sort of defines where the limits of good taste are, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> here's the thing: is I used to, I don't, I'll check in once in a I know while it's to sad see what for he's you up to. Because, yeah, but I used to love the guy, and it's not because oh, I can't handle. It's just that he he bores me now. Well, let's get him on the show. Let's reach out yeah, okay. to him. I, I, honestly, I I'm not going to reach. I'm not reaching out to him. You could. I think he needs a little, just a little love. I, I feel like he's being abused by the social media wokesters. The Stalinists, Stalinist social justice warrior wokesters. Yep. I, I feel like he's just, he's the real victim here and we should reach out and try to help him. <laughs> okay. Well, geez, we spent now like an entire program. Um, maybe we, we end this episode here and then we'll pick up with our second episode. No, we're going to do one movie. We're going to do one more movie. We should do Cabin in the Woods or Dock at the Cabin and then do Celine and Julie on another episode. Oh, man. I was so looking forward to it, too. Me, too. But I have but I have so much to say that I could spend an hour on Celine and Julie and Mother and the Whore. Okay. That, that, that's fair. All right. Well, we're, we, guys, we're pushing. So I, I, don't, I don't want to short shrift those movies because I feel like there's such a great conversation to have there. I swear to you guys out there listening and gals, hopefully it's not just uh, white males listening to the show. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We, I really thought this entire Oscars and then the Travers <laughs> Wells thing was going to be 20 minutes. I really did. Yes. Um, you are always wrong about how long things take on the show. And it's by the way, you want to know what Jeffrey will, you want to know what Jeffrey Wells, favorite movie of 2022 was. Okay. Well, do you want to take a guess? Oh, um, 
it's not uh hold on let me think you may know this i may have mentioned it in a text i know i don't know i don't know i think it tells you a lot about his tastes he didn't like everything everywhere all at once but he loved empire of light wait you gotta be kidding me did, <laughs> no uh, did you ever finish did you finish empire of light i will finish it but i could only get through half of it because it's not a good movie <laughs> It's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I got through half of it, and oh, it's just awful. I, I, it's yeah, and just, you can't accuse me of being some young young millennial. I'm 52, and I should yeah. be the right target. And I love I love a movie that talks about early 80s and movie theaters and stuff like that. I love that, but it was terrible. It's beautifully shot. Um, I, yeah, I even love, though that's not the right approach, though, for that movie, by the way. <laughs> No, completely the wrong approach, but uh, yes, it's like they just slapped a style on this story that doesn't, the form and content don't really match up. Uh, I love Olivia Coleman, uh, great performance. Yeah, but this I mean, is the same thing with Emma Thompson, where Emma yes. Thompson was winning award after award, so it's like, let's get Emma Thompson. Now it's like, let's get Olivia Coleman, and we're going to get Oscar gold. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> But my point is, this movie has a lot of things going for it, and you know, it's not like it's poorly made. It's just, it's just not good. I think that Jeffrey Wells enjoys enjoys a movie about race relations when it's talk told by a white male. That's the approach he likes. <laughs> you mean like Green Book? Yeah, this must be in that same wheelhouse. <laughs> Oh, Jeff. So, I mean, here's the thing. These people who wander into these conversations and just start kind of smashing about, uh, you know, I see this frequently in the conversations about literature where somebody just comes in and starts making the argument for the Western canon. And I just think, wow, you sound like Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that guy. Well, no, but my point is, you know, there there is that kind of... Uh, Jeffrey Wells, I, 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 here's, I want to see Jeffrey Wells top 100 films of all time. He's at, it, it's, it's, it's on a site somewhere. Okay. He loves okay. to tell, tell you. I know that, uh, what, one of those that's on there is, uh, Zodiac. He loves that movie. Well, what do you think of that movie? Um, you know, it's a movie that, cause, cause there's such ardent supporters of it, like Wells. Yeah. I would keep watching it and watching it. And it's a movie that I, is so rewatchable. I, I watched yeah. it several times. Um, but I've never thought it was brilliant. And part of it, part of it is that because it was an unsolved case, though it looks like maybe in recent years, it's maybe more right. resolved. It doesn't have that satisfying gotcha. And I really feel like it needed it. See, I actually like that it doesn't have the satisfying gotcha, but I still don't totally love the movie. I feel like it's really solid, but I uh, I just don't get that caught up in it. Uh, it doesn't totally click for me. The second half, not the second half, but maybe the last third of it just doesn't work as well. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I also am not, I'm not a huge Fincher fan, so uh, as well as a Fincher, Fincher bro. <laughs> I'm attaching. I'm attaching know. bro to everything I can in this episode. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of which, uh, shall we segue? Okay. So here we are, and we're, we're 53 minutes. I'm still advocating that to 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 stop and do another episode, but we're going to continue on. We're not going to get to the, the big topic that we were going to talk about, but we are going to talk about a new movie. Hey, new movie that was in theaters. Now it's best like of 2023. Best of twenty. It's already twenty twenty three. Yep, we're and we're we're getting in early with yeah, our not best. Cocaine bear. It's not uh, cocaine bear is. 
What is the best movie of 2023 so far that you've seen? Well, I did like M3 again, as I call it. Um, yes. And I did like Cocaine Bear. And, uh, oh, you know, that movie there, um, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's film. Oh, yes. That that was this year, huh? Okay, yeah. So in, That was this year. Okay, Infinity Pool, far and, ahead, far and away for me right now, best movie of 2023. And uh, But, I, you know, in fairness, I haven't seen um, Magic Mike Triple X, <laughs> Triple X. Last no, I haven't either. Dance or whatever it's called. I did see two other films from 2023. Okay, so what are those two? Uh, one of them I didn't finish. Uh, okay, I'm going to just tell you why. Uh, it's called Plane. Like Airplane or just like plane? Air, Like Airplane, but just Plane. Oh, is this the movie that has... Uh... Gerard Butler. Yeah, yeah, you saw that? Yeah. Oh, is it, is it cheesy and fun? It's cheesy. The thing is, it's really low budget. And so it has this kind of fun, cheesy 80s action adventure vibe. Like a canon movie? It's a little bit, yes, it is like a canon movie, and it's fun for that reason. Um, it's not hyper-violent. The first 20 minutes is the plane having difficulties, and it's some of the most, I, I, I don't know about the dialogue, I've never been in the cockpit of a plane, uh, but it seems very realistic in terms of them having problems and the amount of time it takes, and it's not over-dramatized. It was a really interesting plane crash sequence. And then they don't crash. He actually successfully lands, but they're stuck there. And then they're on this island with no government. And there's a bunch of rebels with RPGs coming after them. And uh, they have to fix the plane and fly the plane out of there. It's kind of it's kind of fun. No snake pliskin? No. But it, anyhow, it's, it's a good, like, maybe C movie. <laughs> okay. So there's that. And then you saw something else. And then I saw... The new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin, which I, I don't know how this did at the box office, but I thought, you know, I, I know it was number one, it's opening weekend. And that then the next day, uh, M. Night fired his agents. It didn't do that well. Yeah. So it didn't do that good. Um, and I watched it just kind of thinking, I don't know, here's something kind of cheap and fun to watch, right? Might be kind of fun. And uh, it's not fun. Uh, <laughs> it's not fun at all. You know, I, I kind of wanted just a fun B-movie with maybe a little twist here and there. And, you know, I have to say, I actually kind of like Dave Bautista. I liked the opening scene with him and this little girl. And because of that opening scene, I knew exactly what was going on in the movie. And so the entire movie is premised on whether something is real or not. These people say the apocalypse is going to happen. The other people say, no, you're making that up. It's You're delusional and deranged, and these visions are nonsense, and the apocalypse is not happening, and these people say the apocalypse is happening. And so there's supposed to be this tension in the audience where we aren't sure what's real and what we would do in that situation. And uh, and so it sort of sets that premise up, and then it repeats that premise over and over and over four times without developing it in any meaningful way or adding to it. There's never a point at which the characters question 
maybe this is happening what should we what if what if we did make this decision to kill one of us what if there's no point at which they engage with the moral or philosophical questions that are brought up by this because we already know from the first five minutes that the apocalypse is happening there's no tension there for the audience and so we are just stuck in this dreary bottle movie with a bunch of bad acting and repetitive dialogue that goes on for about 90 minutes before there's a twist ending, which is the ending you knew from the first five minutes. I I don't think there was a twist in the movie, truthfully. I don't, I don't, I think you said it kind of plays out exactly like it's being laid out. The, The twist would have been for it to have not been an apocalypse for it to have not been the apocalypse yeah because the only yeah but then they would have had to set it up a little they would have had they would have had to set it up a little differently which is the point is that it it, unless you're an idiot watching the movie you 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 you're the whole time thinking well even though these people are insane it has to be real based on a b and c like they didn't leave any room for enough ambiguity and then you have these two characters, these two men, one of whom doesn't really seem to have any opinion because he has a concussion. So that's kind of a wasted opportunity. And the other one just says, no, 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 over and over again. And the argument never changes from, you have to make a decision. No, we're not going to. And that's literally 40 minutes of the movie is, you have to make a decision. No, I don't want to. And that character never develops. And you end up hating him because you know what's going on. And you see all these people dying because this guy is just, uh, you know, a stubborn jerk. There was not a single moment of this movie that I liked. I hated every moment of it. I thought it was, a, I think it's the worst. I mean, you look at now it's the number one. Something else is going to have to be worse than this movie. But I found there was no. Re- Wait, are you, are you telling me I liked this more than you? I think so. I, I don't think there's a single re- <laughs> piece of redeeming value. The whole story is stupid. Now, my wife has read the book that it was based on, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. And she was excited to see this movie because she loved the book. Um, yeah. She had read it a, a bunch of years ago. She couldn't really tell exactly how different it was in the uh, the book, but right. something didn't translate right. And, you know, look, M. Night Shyamalan, he, he's made a couple of good movies and he's made a whole yeah. bag of turkeys. And he keeps chasing the high <laughs> of the sixth yes. sense. And I think that's a mistake. He's never grown as a director. He, he, he's always going no. after the same thing and he, the same material and, and it's just getting boring. Yeah. And has he ever, I'm, I'm trying to think if he's ever done something that's tried to get out of that a little bit. No, I don't think so. There really isn't. Yeah, there really isn't. He, he, he's sort of stuck in that, in that mode. And, and it, but what amazed me is, you know, sometimes uh, okay, Sixth Sense, of course, he pulls off the premise, right? Unbreakable, I feel like he pulls off the premise. Yep. Even Split, I feel like he pulls off the premise. Is that the first one? What was the second one? Mr. Glass or whatever? That was horrible. Yeah, I didn't see that. I couldn't, I had, that was the one, I had, it was so bad, I had to shut it off. So maybe that's worse because I shut it off. Yeah, yeah, Split is the one with James McAvoy with the split personalities. Yeah, that one was pretty good, I thought. And it had a great, that one had a great ending. Yes. And then he spoiled it with a sequel. <laughs> right. You know, even the village, is, the village and signs have redeeming qualities. Yeah, they both fall apart, but they're good rides for a while. 
yeah, they have some redeeming qualities, but then there's, you know, all the, like, the real bombs, like After Earth and Last Airbender and Lady in the Water. And The Happening. And The Happening. <sighs> yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, this movie is definitely, you know, old even had some redeeming qualities. Yeah, and then it was that one about the kids having to be babysit by the grandparents or whatever. Oh, The Visit. Yeah. The visit, that was like low down and dirty. He was already in, uh, you know, director jail, but he he showed that he could do something with like a low budget film. And I kind of enjoyed that for what it was. This movie, you have to really question. Maybe that's why he fired his agents. Because at the end, why was this movie made? Because I can't imagine anybody enjoying themselves watching it. So so he um, found the script, right? And, or, you know, his agents found the script for him. He completely rewrote it and went into arbitration with the original writers for credit let them have it i wouldn't want my name on this yeah so they still they're still on it actually but there was a whole thing about how the credits were going to work on this so it's basically his script and what's amazing to me is it just fails to execute the premise in any even even just for cheap thrills it fails like it it's not even a ba- it's not even a good c movie like plane it's just it fails on every level so i hate this movie it's the worst movie of 2023 so far well that's why i like cocaine bear it gives you exactly what you want exactly it, it delivers everything i think that it promises right and it was entertaining and (laughs) my daughter went to see it and loved it uh oh she she did yes she loved it she thought it was really hilarious and fun and just had a great time at the theater with her friends and you know she didn't like um m3 again but but she did like cocaine bear to our listeners out there avoid knock at the cabin it is it's just dreary and you know i'm a, i'm very forgiving on bottle movies and i won't forgive this one. Oh yeah this was no 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 not good now we can wrap up the episode i guess so this is like funny we 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 are cutting out a whole bunch of things that we were going to talk about in order to, i guess to keep it short because otherwise we would go on forever and we don't want to short change we don't want to short change that those other films so you know i i think we have a lot to say about them and uh so let's save that for another episode I know, but I hate I hate time passing along and then we're not going to, well, I mean, we could do that on our next episode, but you already have a theme for next episode. No, we're going to do this one instead. Oh, no, we oh, can't we're not- because of the, no, we got to do Easter next. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. We've we never get- done an Easter episode and you insist that we're going to do one. <laughs> I insist that we do an Easter episode. Yes. Yep. I know. I mean, our old format you know, it's funny. We used to struggle when we did it week to week to come up with topics. Now yeah. we're on the reverse and we're struggling to get in all these things we want to do because we <laughs> exactly. don't tape enough. And we got so many things we want to talk about. It's fantastic. Well, at some point, maybe we can do a couple weeks in a row and bank some. That'd be a good idea. Maybe we should find a time to tape the next episode. That's what then, I think we should do. And then yeah. bank that. But because- maybe we should stop recording now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Now, look, I just apologies out there because I, I really, you know, I feel bad because now this whole episode has been like a rant on Jeffrey Wells, but maybe it had to happen eventually one of these days. We well, got this is a 2023 episode. We only covered 2023 stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we covered the 2022 Oscar stuff, but. Right, but the Oscars are happening in 2023, so it's, you know, an up-to-date kind of uh, check-in. 
Okay. Well, um, for those of you that were still wondering about this uh, BFI 250, I am still working my way through it and seeing some great stuff along the way. So, and some shit, but. <laughs> and, and you're recommending things to me, and I'm watching those as we go along. So, that's. Uh, I have the advantage of your expertise and experience on my side guiding me. So I appreciate that. Hopefully you're also providing that for some of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, you know, anybody who reaches out to uh, Jim and Teal stuff we've seen.com and uh, I'll be glad to tell you what to avoid. <laughs> I don't know what to say <laughs> if you're wondering, um, you know, if, you, if you're like, should I see 13 hours of uh, out one? I can tell you whether you should or not. I want to. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to rewatch it, but I, well, I've, I've gotten through yeah. 13 hours of it. The French New Wave, which we will be talking about the French New Wave in uh, future episodes. Yes. Uh, you can't avoid the French New Wave. No, I, I found it's like a wall in the 250 and you can't get through the 250 <laughs> without hitting a lot of those French New Wave movies. <laughs> They're definitely a, a certain style of filmmaking. Yes. Yeah. I haven't figured out how to do this, but you know how like in the TV shows, even though the show's over, you still see the people conversing with each other? Oh, right. I feel like that should be like how we end the show. Where <laughs> we're still talking about, can you believe that, Jeffrey Wells? And then well, well you know what? You know, just have the, just, just have, fade in the bumper music at the end and just kind of fade us out. Just crossfade us. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, so this is just the banter at the end of the show. <laughs> this is the, ba the banter that gets gonna, tuned out. just disappear. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, We say goodbye, see some stuff, and then we start talking again. <laughs> and then we start talking again. And it just so happens we're still recording, talking about yeah, M. Night. Like, it's like, can you believe that M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> what, when's that guy going to learn? He was just the worst. <laughs> he, 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 he really do something.